Chapter One of Peter Simple. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. Peter Simple by Frederick Marriott. Chapter One The Great Advantage of Being the Fool of the Family. My Destiny is Decided and I am consigned to a stockbroker as part of His Majesty's sea stock. Unfortunately for me, Mr. Handicock is a bear, and I get very little dinner. If I cannot narrate a life of adventurous and daring exploits, fortunately I have no heavy crimes to confess, and if I do not rise in the estimation of the reader for acts of gallantry and devotion in my country's cause, at least I may claim the merit of zealous and persevering continuance in my vocation. We are all of us variously gifted from above, and he who is content to walk instead of to run on his allotted path through life, although he may not so rapidly attain the goal, has the advantage of not being out of breath upon his arrival. As well as I can recollect and analyze my early propensities, I think that, had I been permitted to select my own profession, I should in all probability have bound myself apprentice to a tailor, for I always envied the comfortable seat which they appeared to enjoy upon the shop-board and their elevated position which enabled them to look down upon the constant succession of the idle or the busy, who passed in review before them in the main street of the country town, near to which I passed the first fourteen years of my existence. But my father, who was a clergyman of the Church of England, and the youngest brother of a noble family, had a lucrative living and a soul above buttons if his son had not. It has been from time immemorial the heathenish custom to sacrifice the greatest fool of the family to the prosperity and naval superiority of the country, and at the age of fourteen I was selected as the victim. If the custom be judicious, I had no reason to complain. There was not one dissentient voice when it was proposed before all the varieties of my aunts and cousins, invited to partake of our New Year's festival, I was selected by general acclamation. Flattered by such a unanimous acknowledgment of my qualification, I felt a slight degree of military ardor, and a sort of vision of future grandeur passed before me in the distant vista of which i perceived a coach with four horses and a service of plate but as my story is not a very short one i must not dwell too long on its commencement i shall therefore inform the reader that my father who lived in the north of england did not think it right to fit me out at the country town near to which we resided but about a fortnight after the decision which i have referred to he forwarded me to london on the outside of the coach with my best suit of bottle-green and six shirts to prevent mistakes i was booked in the waybill to be delivered to mr thomas handicock number fourteen st clement's lane carriage paid my parting with the family was very affecting my mother cried bitterly for like all mothers she liked the greatest fool which she had presented to my father better than all the rest my sisters cried because my mother cried tom roared for a short time more loudly than all the rest having been chastised by my father for breaking his fourth window in that week at last i tore myself away i had blubbered till my eyes were so red and swollen that the pupils were scarcely to be distinguished and tears and dirt had veined my cheeks like the marble of the chimney-piece my handkerchief was soaked through with wiping my eyes and blowing my nose before the scene was over my brother tom with a kindness which did honour to his heart exchanged his for mine saying with fraternal regard here, Peter, take mine. It's as dry as a bone. But my father would not wait for a second handkerchief to perform its duty. He led me away through the hall, when, having shaken hands with all the men, I kissed all the maids, who stood in a row with their aprons to their eyes, 
i quitted the paternal roof the coachman accompanied me to the stage having seen me securely wedged between two fat old women and having put my parcel inside he took his leave and in a few minutes i was on my road to london i was too much depressed to take notice of anything during my journey when we arrived in london they drove to the blue boar in a street the name of which i have forgotten i had never seen nor heard of such an animal and certainly it did appear very formidable its mouth was open and teeth very large the coachman threw his whip to the ostler and the reins upon the horse's back he then dismounted and calling to me now young gentleman he's waiting he put a ladder up for me to get down by then turning to a porter he said to him bill you must take this here young gentleman and that air parcel to this here direction please to remember the coachman sir i replied that i certainly would if he wished it and walked off with the porter the coachman observing as i went away well he is a fool that's certain i arrived quite safe at st clement's lane when the porter received a shilling for his trouble from the maid who let me in and i was shown up into a parlour where i found myself in company with mrs handycock mrs handycock was a little meagre woman who did not speak very good english and who appeared to me to employ the major part of her time in bawling out from the top of the stairs to the servants below i never saw her either read a book or occupy herself with needlework during the whole time i was in the house she had a large grey parrot and i really cannot tell which screamed the worst of the two but she was very civil and kind to me before i had been there ten minutes she told me that she adored sailors they were the defendiors and preserviors of their kings and countries and that mr handycock would be home by four o'clock and then we should go to dinner as i was very anxious to see mr handycock and very anxious to have my dinner i was not sorry to hear the clock on the stairs strike four when mrs handycock jumped up and put her head over the banisters jemima jemima it's four o'clock i hear it marm replied the cook and she gave the frying-pan a twist which made the hissin and the smell come flying up into the parlour and made me more hungry than ever rap tap tap there's your master jemima screamed the lady i hear him marm replied the cook run down my dear and let mr handycock in said his wife he'll be so surprised at seeing you open the door i ran down as mrs handycock desired me and opened the street door who the devil are you in a gruff voice cried mr handycock a man about six feet high dressed in blue cotton net pantaloons and hessian boots with a black coat and waistcoat i was a little rebuffed i must own but i replied that i was mr simple and pray mr simple what would your grandfather say if he saw you now law mr handycock said his wife from the top of the stairs how oh, can you be so cross i told him to open the door to surprise you and you have surprised me replied he with your cursed folly while mr handycock was rubbing his boots on the mat i went upstairs rather mortified i must own as my father had told me that mr handycock was his stockbroker and would do all he could to make me comfortable when i returned to the parlour mrs handycock whispered to me never mind dear it's only because there's something wrong and change mr handycock is a bear just now i thought so too but made no answer for mr handycock came upstairs are you ready for dinner my dear said the lady almost trembling if the dinner is ready for me i believe we usually dine at four answered her husband gruffly jemima jemima dish up do you hear jemima yes marm replied the cook directly i've thickened the butter and mrs handycock resumed her seat with well mr simple and how is your grandfather lord privilege 
he is quite well ma'am answered i for the fifteenth time at least but dinner put an end to the silence which followed this remark mr handycock walked downstairs leaving his wife and me to follow at our leisure pray ma'am inquired i as soon as he was out of hearing what is the matter with mr handycock that he is so cross to you why my dear it is one of the misfortunes of matrimony that when the husband put out the wife is sure to have her share of it are you people coming down to dinner roared mr handycock from below yes my dear replied the lady i thought that you were washing your hands we descended to the dining-room where we found that mr handycock had already devoured two of the whitings leaving only one on the dish for his wife and me would you like a little bit of whiting my dear said the lady to me it's not worth having observed the gentleman in a surly tone taking up the fish with his own knife and fork and putting it on his plate well i'm so glad you like them my dear replied the lady meekly then turning to me there's some nice roast veal coming my dear the veal made its appearance and fortunately for us mr handycock could not devour it all he took the lion's share nevertheless cutting off all the brown and then shoving the dish over to his wife to help herself and me after dinner mr handycock went down to the cellar for a bottle of wine oh dear me exclaimed his wife he must have lost a mint of money we had better go upstairs and leave him alone he'll be better after a bottle of port perhaps i was very glad to go away and being very tired i went to bed without any tea for mrs handycock dared not venture to make it before her husband came upstairs End of chapter one